Welcome to the Essay for FA's Retirement Advisor podcast, a series that addresses issues of importance to financial advisors when dealing with the preeminent issue on their clients' minds, namely their desire for financial independence. I am your host, Gil Weinrich of Seeking Alpha, and this morning we will discuss one of the most significant and best-known threats to the portfolios of every retiree, yet one which people are decreasingly paying attention to. We'll get to that in a moment, but first, this word on behalf of our sponsor, Nationwide. This podcast is brought to you by Nationwide. Nationwide's New Heights fixed indexed annuities now offer the flexibility of earlier withdrawals with an optional living benefit rider at additional cost. Learn more at nationwidenewheights.com. Okay, I kept you in suspense by not naming the portfolio threat, but not because I'm a tease. Really, it was so as to not put you to sleep or send you looking for some more interesting podcast because I'm talking about inflation. Sure, most educated people know that inflation is considered a threat, but I believe investors have lost their fear of this phenomenon, and for an understandable reason, even if incorrect. The reason is that inflation has receded to a great extent in the past decade specifically, and even before then, has not risen to the alarming extent it had reached during the 1970s, a decade when adjectives like double-digit rolled freely and painfully off the tongue. Inflation hit over 15% in the fourth quarter of 1973 and reached similar levels at that decade's end, averaging nearly 7% for the decade as a whole. The inflation rate for the last 60 years has been about half that amount, at around 3.5%, and for the past decade, it has been half that again, or 1.7%. Inflation has moderated to such a degree that the U.S. Federal Reserve and other central banks have been worrying about inflation being too low. Central bankers used to try to ensure that inflation not rise above 2%. Today, central bankers are worried about inflation not reaching 2%, and many an economist is consumed with questions about how to stoke inflation. Now, this fear is rational, since inflation's evil twin, deflation, can utterly devastate an economy, removing the impetus to buy goods. I get that. But let's let the economists worry about that problem for now. Financial advisors who are working with individuals towards their most important financial goal, retirement, cannot afford to sleep at the switch because there will likely be a switch. In general, smart investors prefer to buy things that others are selling and sell things that others are buying. Well, right now, the market has sold inflation. Isn't it then time to buy? Last year's Treasury auction of 10-year tips generated a real yield to maturity of just 0.17%, the lowest in three years. Consequently, tips are of little interest to retail investors. The buyers are mostly central banks and institutions who recognize that the threat of inflation can never be fully ignored. Short-term tips are not any more thrilling. The Vanguard Short-Term Inflation Protected Securities ETF today trades within pennies of its price on its first day of trading nearly seven years ago, although it offers an attractive five-year yield on cost of 2.7% given its safe treasury holdings. The point is that if treasuries or cash equivalents form a part of your client's holdings, especially for retired clients, then advisors need to be sure that the client's projected income will be there for them when they need it and at the purchasing power they expect. 
This is crucial for retirees who are most hurt by inflation. If their food, medicine, or rent go up, they generally cannot make up for that with a pay raise like ordinary workers can obtain in inflationary markets. To get a sense of this, let's take a look at an income annuity purchased by a well-to-do couple, both aged 65, with a 30-year payout. They put $800,000 into this joint survivor income stream, get a favorable contract paying 5.46%, and collect $4,456 monthly. According to Calculator.net, at 1.6% inflation, the purchasing power of that $4,456 a month is just $2,768 in 30 years. But if we double inflation to 3.2%, which I remind you is less than the average rate for the last 60 years, their $4,456 a month has a purchasing power of just $1,732 after 30 years. Your clients will feel that difference. Ordinary people have a hard time with recency bias, but advisors' professional responsibility is to filter out this bias, understand economic history, and know that inflation can and probably will return, maybe even in a big way. Interestingly, I did a little more research on annuities and found a Morningstar study calling inflation-linked annuities a bad deal for investors. It is plain to see that an investor must pay significantly more upfront to get the same monthly income on an inflation-adjusted basis. In the example I gave of a well-to-do couple plunking down $800,000 for an income annuity, I'm guesstimating that one would have to pay closer to $1.2 million to maintain the same level of income protected from inflation. Now, I lack the ability to determine whether that would be a good or bad deal, because I don't know what future inflation will be. But insurance companies' business is risk management, and they cannot afford synambulance at the threat of inflation. Their pricing of these products may simply reflect a greater awareness of the risk of inflation. My final point on this issue is to look at the macroeconomic picture. Sure, we've all been numbed by policymakers talking about the economy rising at a moderate rate amid solid job gains, but with inflation running below 2%. But one thing that has been anything but moderate is the level of government, corporate, and private debt. At the government level, the last decade has seen persistent worries flare up about the economic health of countries as various as Greece, Ireland, Japan, and even the U.S., if that debt ever crosses some as-yet-unknown danger level, the government's primary means of dealing with the problem will be monetizing the debt, which would trigger high and rising inflation. Then, as in the 1970s, consumers will become reacquainted with how quickly one can go from surplus to shortage, from cheap to dear. It therefore behooves advisors to hedge against inflation via tips, gold, or real assets in light of this regularly recurring feature of economic woe. Thanks for listening. If you found this podcast useful, consider passing it on to one other advisor. Also, feel free to contact me at gil at seekingalpha.com if you have feedback or requests. This is Seeking Alpha's Gil Weinrich, and our podcast was sponsored by Nationwide. Attention listeners, in less than two weeks, Seeking Alpha will present its latest podcast series called The Investing Edge. You will shortly hear a preview of the first episode called Talking Scorpio Tankers Opportunity and Netflix's Big Challenge. The following trailer previews our initial two shows on the investing edge from Value Investors Edge Live, hosted by Jay Mintzmeyer, and The Razor's Edge, hosted by Daniel Schwartzman and Akram's Razor. 
Our excerpt for Value Investors Edge Live is from our first episode, where Jay Mintzmeyer speaks with Robert Bugbee of Scorpio Tankers about the company's comfortable cash position and the pending catalyst of IMO 2020. Our excerpt from The Razor's Edge is from the first episode, which covers Disney, Netflix, and the streaming universe. Daniel Schwartzman asks Akram's Razor about whether Netflix can solve a budding challenge. Too much content on the service. The Investing Edge is a podcast channel on Seeking Alpha that features shows from different Seeking Alpha authors with a focus on their unique investing style. Authors will speak with CEOs and industry experts, break down key market stories and topics, and share insights on how they research new investments. The first two shows on the Investing Edge are Value Investors Edge Live, hosted by Jay Mintzmeyer of Value Investors Edge. The show will feature Jay's conversations with publicly traded shipping company CEOs, sector experts, and fellow deep value investors about their companies and investing approaches. And The Razor's Edge hosted by essay podcast host Daniel Schwartzman and Seeking Alpha author Akram's Razor of The Razor's Edge. Here's the trailer. You're listening to a special preview of The Investing Edge, Seeking Alpha's newest podcast channel. The Investing Edge features different shows from some of the top authors on Seeking Alpha, focusing on their unique styles of investing. We kick off on October 3rd with two shows, and we're going to share a brief preview of each one. You can sign up for The Investing Edge on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. First, we have our host, Jay Mintzmeyer of Value Investors Edge Live, sharing a preview from his initial episode, which will air on October 3rd. It features Robert Bugby of Scorpio Tankers. Here's Jay. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Value Investors Edge Live. I'm your host, Jay Mintzmeyer, lead researcher at Value Investors Edge, a premium marketplace research platform on Seeking Alpha. Our goal with this new series is to introduce investors directly to relevant companies in the industry and provide a platform for high-level executives to directly explain current market conditions and answer some of the questions that investors have about capital allocation, current market conditions, and other situations that might not come across as clearly in quarterly conference calls or press releases. I believe this will open up these companies directly to investors and researchers and really lead to a higher level of transparency across the marketplace. Uh, we've launched a few high-profile interviews over the last couple of months, starting with Scorpio Tankers, stock symbol STNG in the product tanker sector, then moving on to Dorian LPG, stock symbol LPG in that sector, and then most recently Euronav, stock symbol EURN, which is a leading crude tanker company. We interviewed Robert Bugby, president of Scorpio Tankers, on Thursday, 1 August, to discuss the upcoming IMO 2020 regulations, as well as Scorpio's positioning in the markets. It's been around seven weeks since we conducted this interview, but I think the discussion is still relevant for investors, even in the current market, as we're just now starting to approach those catalysts in October, November, December, right before we launch into 2020. So the very fact that someone can ask you, wow, what are you going to do with all these positive cash positions is actually a great thing because it means that you have those those, um, options. Uh, you know, it definitely was not the situation right in, in 2016 and 2017, right? So we, we came a long ways. And, you know, I remember back in 2016, uh, you know, the company had dropped, I think it was to about $3 a share in Scorpio uh, Bulkers. And, you know, you had to recapitalize, you had to raise equity. And, uh, you know, Robert, I saw you made some personal purchases at that point. And, you know, it was a clear signal, I, I think, to anyone really watching the stock that, you know, now is the time to get in at the bottom of the cycle. 
And, you know, it was a very profitable uh, turnaround investment at that point. And I think, you know, we saw a similar thing, right? Not exactly the same, but we saw a similar thing with Scorpio tankers. And uh, it, Scorpio tankers, I would say the difference has been the speed of the recovery, right? Scorpio bulkers has been uh, several years, right? Lots of money. When you're doubling or tripling your money, a couple of years is fine. Uh, but with Scorpio tankers, right, we've we've moved up, you know, 50, 60% in a matter of months. So I, that speaks to the market there. Yeah, but this is, this, this, this is why we're, you know, we're begging our, not begging, but we're, we're asking our shareholders and some supporters of the Scorpio Balkers to be a little bit patient over this sting investment. That the easy thing would be to, you know, just the easy thing would be to say, great, good, we, we bought it, we could sell it 50% profit, thank you. You know, I think as one analyst said on a call once, you could declare victory. Well, yeah, that's just sort of interesting. But what is so different in the Scorpio tanker position is you've got this major catalyst. It is really rare. In 35 years working in this industry in public markets, I've never seen a regulation that is an actual positive demand catalyst. Normally, regulations on shipping lead to extra expense. They are regulations either to make things more transparent, to make things more secure, to make, you know, make greater oversight or to increase the safety in the industry. And all of those normally cost a lot of money. Here you have a change that for Scorpio tankers is going to increase the demand for the ships itself. And Scorpio tankers has the most modern product tanker fleet in the world. So, and is the greatest beneficiary. So that's why you have this rise so quickly. Um, when EMA was confirmed last November, December in Scorpio tankers combined with, you know, it hasn't yet started yet, which is why we think there can be a further, you know, strong leg or two upwards. The other show we're kicking off with on this channel is The Razor's Edge. It features me, Daniel Schwartzman, as well as Akram's Razor, a Seeking Alpha Marketplace author. We'll be speaking each episode about ideas Akram has been following for his own investing or on his marketplace service, also called The Razor's Edge. That could be in tech, consumer goods, retail, or beyond. But whatever it is, it'll be backed by experience and a lot of hard research. Our first episode was on a familiar topic, streaming television and its rapidly evolving competitive landscape. One question that came up as we talked about the players in the industry was how hard it is to find what you want to watch. And we were focusing on Netflix when we talked about this. Have a listen to the excerpt. What I, what I think is the question for you then is we're in a period where content is everywhere. I think, you know, one common idea is that we're going to get sick of the fact that now we have to buy all the different streaming things to get everything we want. But if you had to give me the company who can best solve the, how do I find something I want to watch? Wouldn't you bet on the company that has solved other technological challenges around streaming, you know, and changed successfully pivoted two or three times before? Like, isn't that what, if I'm a Netflix bull, that's sort of what I'm saying is they're spending, but they'll, you're saying the challenge is there's so much. That seems like a decent problem to have that I can probably figure out. Okay, so here's how I think about it, right? Like we can make an argument today that people are going to 
the shows created in this window from like, let's say the last two years, sure. and let's talk about maybe the next 18 months, okay? People will be discovering these shows a decade from now. There will be like hit shows that will go viral, right? That were created in this window. And they'll be like, oh my God, dude, have you seen, what's it called? I mean, that's a glow. And it will have had like three or four seasons, right? Because the deluge of content is insane. And I, I can only imagine what's going to happen to Hollywood right. once this stops, right? It's going to be, I mean, talk about a boom to bust, right? Like it's going to be a bust on epic proportions. Because right now there's like, the old school stars like a Jennifer Aniston or a Reese Witherspoon, they're still cashing in on big checks from Apple because they right. want to seed content with identifiable people, right? And then your average actor, it's been like they're not be getting paid huge money, but there is so much work, right? That it's been a good business to be in, but it can't be consumed, you know? And we're not even just talking about like TV series and movies and, and, and whatnot. Like, you literally got to look at it from the context of social media, you know, YouTube, Instagram, it's hours in a day and we're well past that. Like that, that's where I look at a Netflix today. I'm still paying the subscription fee. I may come in and consume something, but the interface with cable has actually made me want to go back to sh- like to watch old shows I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. Like I watch old Seinfeld episodes, right? I'm watching, you know, old movies on like it's it's actually kind of increased the value of the familiarity of old content because there's so much new stuff like how do you efficiently discover it sift it out and, and enjoy it and we're going to hit a point where there's going to be a right. lot less right i hope you enjoyed that preview the investing edge goes live on october 3rd and is available on apple podcasts spotify google play or wherever you listen to podcasts We'll be featuring Jay's Value Investor's Edge live on October 3rd, then our inaugural episode of The Razor's Edge on October 10th. We expect to run the shows on alternating weeks, but also to launch new shows over the coming months. So if you're looking for unique angles and insights, as well as an enjoyable and enlightening conversation, make sure to subscribe and give it a try.